The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Wizard's Half, the show where I, Michael, try to fumble my way through the stuff we missed during our main episode. This is mini-episode 18.5. Today we're going to be covering the amazing art section, my kind of hero, Adam's 2099 hotline, homemade heroes, and I'm going to give it a shot for the old quiz. Let's dive in, shall we? Let's check out the amazing art section. First, we have a submission from Skip... Hot Rats from Spokane, Washington, who did a classic version of Iron Man. It's really, really cool. I think it looks fantastic. It's definitely got a 90s kind of feel. Giant boots, though, that I don't even know how he walks around in them. But he's kind of not necessarily in front of the wizard cloak, but almost looks like the stars of the American flag. It's kind of resembling of that. He's just shooting photon blasts out of his hand while he's rocketing away. That looks really, really impressive. I love it. The next we have a submission from Patrick Stacy from Ayer, Massachusetts. And he's got a Lobo with a wizard cloak-esque baseball bat. He's wearing a backwards red cap. He's totally shirtless, smoking a cigar, almost as like against a gritty brick or stone back wall. It looks pretty neat. It looks like he's almost ready to like knock somebody out with a baseball bat, which is pretty cool. And the way that's drawn is neat. I love the idea of putting a backwards hat on Lobo. That's pretty cool. The next we have is from Stephen Toth from Burnsville, Missouri, who is using Bloodshot, actually. And Bloodshot is surrounded by some melting candles and some sort of like a compass rose. And he's holding a sword with like a silhouetted backdrop. And he's sitting on top of the wizard cloak. It's very, very interesting. It looks pretty neat. The next one we have is from Daniel Luke Lamontague. I think he submitted stuff before from Quebec, Canada. And he's got a Batman that's more or less silhouetted in front of the moonlight. You just kind of see the bat symbol. He's got very tall ears. You just see like the whites of his eyes, of his cowl. And instead of his cape being a normal cake, it's the wizard cloak. This is really pretty. Like this would be a cool poster to print out. The next one we have is from from Artemis Steel. What an awesome name is Artemis Steel and Bill Cable. These guys should be a real combination of comic book artists for real. Artemis Steel and Bill Cable from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania doing a Donatello. But instead of Donatello's purple colors, he's got wizard purple on his knee pads, his mask, and on his bow staff. It's really nice. This is a well-drawn Ninja Turtle. I think it's quite impressive this month's amazing art section is really hitting it out of the park so far the next we have is nathan simonton from minco oklahoma and he's got an incredible hulk with wizard pants on it's pretty cool he's wearing a black tank top and kind of like a 70s bouffant hairdo which is pretty funny then we have edward watson from redding california and it's i don't know what kind of creature this thing is it's 
really pretty grotesque and he's talking to the wizard of wizard magazine there's smiley faces in the a the r and the d of the wizard logo if that gives away what this character is please let us know because i have no idea then we have bob beeson from pocatello idaho submitting a doctor strange and it is really cool he's on some sort of giant rock mountain and there's all kinds of smoke and fire behind him or like it's really cool he's got this really cool dynamic pose and instead of his normal cape he's wearing the wizard cloak which is very cool this next one is very cool it is from larry mort from adelphi maryland where it's superman and thor duking it out when universes collide it says and superman is throwing a massive punch onto thor knocking mjolnir out of his hand it's very very nicely drawn i like this a lot this is really pretty a good month i gotta say the next we have is robert lingwood from oxen england banbury oxlin england very cool and he's got a venom which is drawn mostly pencils and silhouetted or not silhouetted but like a desaturated i should say and venom is gigantic and he's holding a ripped wizard cloak and he's kind of like super flexing and he's got giant lat muscles in his neck it's pretty crazy i like the way he drew the eyes on this character on this venom lastly we have a one last page and there's a lot of amazing art this month i'm surprised they dumped it all out at once we've got a daredevil by josh mclehan or mcleanhan from canfield ohio and daredevil is being chased by a bunch of assassins and he's got one in a headlock as he's sort of falling from the sky and he's blindfolded by the wizard cloak it's very cool there's no it's all white in the background which i like but there's a bunch of ninjas flying at him with swords which is very cool we have another venom submitted by john dorito from lakeview terrace california and he's just kind of standing there really creepy looking and the wizard cloak is kind of ripped through his arm and almost growing out of his head as well and it says cheese as if he's posing for a picture it's pretty funny it's kind of funny the next one is by john s fourier from colorado springs colorado and he's doing colossus and colossus is holding bugs bunny by the ears it's a little disturbing i think he's trying to like i think he's trying to kill bugs bunny it's weird i don't know why very interesting but he's also got the wizard cloak sort of behind him i don't know what it's doing it's just sort of there but it's interesting it's very cool and and colossus looks really angry at bugs bunny for some reason and finally we have rick massey submitting from uh terry hot indiana and he's got an alien on an alien planet and this is really interesting so it's it's a red sun with like a, a green planet in the distance and out of this volcanic little pit from this planet it's oozing out the wizard cloak and it's sort of all over the ground a little bit and the alien character is holding a piece of it in his hand it's really kind of interesting it's very cool and it's like stars in the background i gotta say this is one of the best amazing arts i've seen in the last 18 issues we've done of wizard so i'm, I'm very impressed by this one and that's our amazing art section next we have my kind of hero
first hero that somebody created was Mirage, created by Mike Kitchen, age 17, from Milton, Ontario, Canada. Secret identity, Kevin Johnson. Occupation, crime fighter. Citizenship, United States. Legal status, vigilante. Base of operations is Boston. Age 24, height 5'11", weight 182. Eye color is blue, hair color is brown. Powers, he is a supernatural being with superpowers, or is it just an illusion? No one knows for sure except us. Mirage is an expert to -to hand-to-hand combat, creating optical illusions, acrobatics, and a master escape artist. His origin story is that Kevin Johnson was only 11 when his father was killed while on duty as a police officer. Kevin decided that day he would continue his father's footsteps and become a police officer. Learning jujitsu and the above abilities from his uncle, a stage magician, he became one of the best cops on the force until he was supposedly killed in an explosion. Kevin then began a new life. Using his skills and his uncle's tricks of the trade, he continues his war on crime as Mirage. And Mirage looks kind of cool. It's kind of a mixture of like a Doctor Doom and Mysterio as well as almost like the Spectre. It's kind of interesting. It looks pretty cool. Definitely a good drawing. Really good origin story there, Mike. The next one is The Incinerator, created by Matt Greenian, who did the artwork, and Christine Mencarelli, who did the text, from Springfield, Maine. So, the incinerator's secret identity is unknown. His age is unknown. His citizenship, home planet, is Cygnus. Cygnus! Uh, Legal status, non-criminal. Interesting. His height is 6'8". Wow, he's big. His weight is approximately 285. That's earth pounds, I guess, not Cygnus pounds. His eye color is unknown. His hair color is none. He's bald. Okay, cool. His powers. The incinerator has the power of intense heat penetration and flamethrowing ability, along with telepathic sensory nerve scanning devices. Hmm, interesting. His origin... Little is known of the incinerator's past other than he is from the planet Cygnus. He is a mutant soldier who once fought alongside the Leech Army during the Great Gravity War of 2406. The Leech Colony was one of many colonies who fought against the Gravity Kings for redemption of their gravity rights. Hmm, it's a really cool drawing. The guy's kind of all in red. He's got a flame coming out of his hand. Uh, he kind of looks a little bit like a Judge Dredd meets Cyclops meets Cable, I would say. It's pretty cool. I like it. It's actually really clever. It's really, really nicely done. So now let's dive into homemade heroes. First, there is a Liefeld-esque warpath who used to be a He-Man figure. Wow, pretty cool. It was crafted by Kevin... Paul Dano and Adam Skilkara from Canada. Pretty cool. It looks really, really good. I could see where the He-Man elements come from, but this guy did a really nice job. This looks, and this is an excellent Warpath figure. I'm really impressed by it. The painting is perfect. The chest emblem looks great. He still has the He-Man belt and wrist cuffs, but 
it works. It looks really cool. He even added these kind of cool shoulder pads to it. It looks really impressive. So the next one is by Robert E. Hall from Axton, Virginia, who crafted a Dark Hawk figure from a Secret Wars type of figure. It doesn't say what type of figure, but it's a Secret Wars figure. The last homemade hero, what Wizard says here is, the winner pit comes to us from Shannon Strud of Maple Grove, Montana. He was made from a Thundercats Monklun body, a Psycho Scum He-Man head, and a lock of Shannon's own hair. Gross. It doesn't say what type of character it is. Dale Keon couldn't have done it any better. Is the character called Winna Pit? I don't know what the heck that is. I don't know what a Winna Pit is. Play Anyway, it's cool looking. It's kind of a beastly type of monster figure with claws and some human hair on it, which is disgusting, but that's whatever, neither here nor there. Very clever, interesting idea. I like that they piece together different characters from different action figures, but the human hair part kind of grossed me out, so yuck. future geeks and welcome to the 2099 hotline the segment where i guide you through marvel's world of tomorrow you know i've gained a whole new perspective on this era having spent a week here even if the first few days were spent in doom's dungeon that guy's a piece of work i'll tell you Luckily, I got free, and Ravage was nice enough to give me a tour of this futurescape in his garbage truck. The Punisher beat some muggers to a bloody pulp before they could harvest my organs, and lately, I've been hanging out at the humble abode of Miguel O'Hara, aka Spider-Man 2099. Miguel's pretty busy, so I've mostly been spending time with his holographic assistant, Lila. She's a great conversationalist, and she's actually the one who figured out how to get this message back to you guys. Now, so far on the 2099 hotline, we've covered Doom, Ravage, and the Punisher 2099 comics, but not Spider-Man 2099. That's because this whole thing kicked off by us reviewing his first issue on the main show, and since I'm taking up space in his apartment now, I figured it's time to catch you up with issues 2 through 10 of this Wall Crawler's Adventures. As you'll recall at issue one, Miguel O'Hara is a jerky genetic genius working to create enhanced corporate raiders for the Alchemex Corporation. But when his morals cause him to tender his resignation, Miguel's boss Tyler Stone slips him a mickey of a designer drug called Rapture, which would make him an addict who needed the corporation to supply his new habit. Attempting to restore his original genetic code in the company lab, his experiment is sabotaged by a jealous co-worker and instead mutates him into a super spider-human hybrid. The next few issues find Miguel on the run from Alchemax and discovering his new power set, while being tracked by a hired cyborg bounty hunter named Venture. So, first he discovers talons protruding from his fingers and toes that allow him to cling to walls, but luckily retract when he touches his own skin, since as Miguel states, quote, going to the bathroom would be an adventure. Then he gets some light bite material from a Thorite's hang glider and attaches it to an old costume he wore at the Day of the Dead festival to allow him to glide when he jumps through the air. His eyes are also very light sensitive, but it's unclear how or if that helps. Him. During his brawl with Venture, spider strength and agility are discovered, as is an itching in his forearms. 
Eventually, Venture grabs Miguel's arms and webbing shoots out to everyone's surprise. Yep, Spider-Man 2099 did the whole organic web shooters thing before Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. How about that? Unfortunately, they protrude in an unsightly fashion like a tumor beneath his skin, so it's not a welcome development. This Spider-Man would be right at home in a David Cronenberg film. Also in the mix during this time is Miguel's younger brother Gabriel, who has a feisty, anti-authoritarian girlfriend named Casey Nash, who gets abducted by a Shogun-style bounty hunter called The Specialist, and taken back to Alchemax for mysterious reasons. She manages to get herself free, though Miguel tries to help Casey in his civilian identity, but then The Specialist is dispatched again to retrieve her. See, already the book is starting to repeat itself, as Spider-Man has yet another showdown with a a bounty hunter, which is kind of lame. Though, in a cool moment, the specialist tries to remove Miguel's mask, but he has cleverly webbed it to his face prior to engaging in the battle. After Casey provides a helping hand on a police hoverbike, Miguel, in a rage, accidentally slashes the specialist's throat out with his talons before being blasted by the public eye, which is the name of the police force for hire of the future, and he falls into the deadly downtown. Badly injured, Spider-Man passes out after saving a woman and her son from a mugging. This is obviously a rough and dangerous neighborhood away from the sleek, futuristic architecture of the corporate-controlled world above. In the meantime, Gabriel suspects that Spider-Man is his brother and dares to go downtown by himself to rescue Miguel. Spider-Man wakes up in some sort of medical clinic where they have treated his wounds because they are Thorites. Again, these are the people that worship Thor as an actual god and believe him to be the harbinger of Thor. Spider-Man reappearing is a sign that their god of thunder will soon return. No sooner does he leave the clinic, though, than the public eye are already on Miguel's tail, but he is miraculously saved by a flying man with metal wings. Yep, the Vulture, 2099. Abducted is more like it, and out of nowhere, Casey shows up again to save the hero, but fails as the Vulture makes her stolen hoverbike crash, and we get a new, weird future slang term from Casey, clucking bell, which sounds like a Napoleon Dynamite substitute swear word. It turns out the Vulture wants to recruit Spider-Man to work with him to bring down Alchemax, which doesn't seem so bad, but the deal's off when the vulture reveals that he is a cannibal and is currently munching on the police who tried to apprehend Spider-Man, which sends Miguel into a fist-punching rage yet again. Meanwhile, we learn that the specialist from the previous issues was loaned out by Stark Fujikawa Corporation to Alchemax to help in abducting Casey, which the Japanese CEO believes was done with the knowledge that Spider-Man would become involved and embarrass his company, giving Alchemax leverage in this world, which Tyler Stone denies publicly but confirms in private that it was his plan all along. Secretly, Stone wants to capture Spider-Man and recreate more Spider-Men-style corporate raiders to do his bidding. Also, Gabriel fights off some carjackers in downtown, and when Casey startles him after the incident, he accidentally shoots and grazes her head. It turns out Casey is part of a militant rebel group looking to take down Alchemax for their evil deeds, and along with her crew, they assist Spider-Man in escaping the Vulture's mob of followers who try to rip him apart. Miguel finally disables the Vulture by getting his wings webbed up in a trap that includes his own light bite glider cape, and the danger is over, for now. The Vulture is definitely the coolest villain so far, and the throwback to a classic member of Spidey's rogues gallery feels so right. 
Issue 9 features fill-in art by Kelly Jones, who we've covered on the podcast as an artist who did more work for DC and Sandman and Dead Man stories. It's actually quite a change from the regular artist Rick Leonardi's stylized world of 2099 we've been presented with up to this point. Jones's Spider-Man is way too thick and burly for my liking, but it's just as well since Miguel actually covers his costume with a public eye uniform for most of this issue to get home undercover, only to discover that he's inspired Thorite copycats who are dressing in his costume and worshipping Spider-Man and using micro-suction fingertip covers to cling to walls. So, in the guise of a policeman, he has to save these idiots from themselves. While all this is going down, Gabriel is frustrated that Casey thinks Spider-Man is so brave and hot, constantly referring to his tight little spider buns, which is ridiculous, after their encounters over these many adventures. This leaves him open to being seduced by his ex-girlfriend Dana, who as of the first issue was dating Miguel, but after our hero smacked her while dealing with the effects of the rapture drug, she has been weaving in and out of stories to talk to Gabriel about his brother's erratic behavior and referencing their own romantic past. Dana has also been snooping around Alchemax asking about Miguel and it seems Tyler Stone is trying to win her over to believing the good that Alchemax plans to do in the world and beyond as he's going to build stations off planet in Mars and underwater and like an Atlantis type thing. Honestly, Dana is one too many characters in this book and she's really super bland. I could have done without her inclusion in this universe. Maybe she plays a bigger part later on. Finally, in issue 10, we get a lot more backstory on Miguel's life and why he was such a jerk to begin with. It's an all-exposition issue, aside from a moment where Miguel decides to take up the cause against Alchemex full force and threatens them on a public security camera in costume. But for all you armchair psychiatrists, the bulk of the issue deals with Miguel and Gabriel's mother, Conchata, being in a mental institution where she claims to be hysterical, but Miguel calls her out for just wanting attention, and she admits it. Since he would never talk to her otherwise, we learn that Miguel's dad was a blue-collar electrician who favored Miguel because he was a literal genius that qualified to attend a special Alchemax-funded private school, which I will tell you, in much later issues, becomes a backup feature in Spider-Man 2099, where basically you get Miguel O'Hara the early years. Miguel's dad also abused his wife, and so Miguel distanced himself from both parents as he grew up. It turns out that his mother wants him to be more like Spider-Man and stand up against corporate corruption, revealing a shrine to the hero she made in her closet. In the heat of an argument, Miguel reveals that he is Spider-Man. Her own son is Spider-Man. But his mom just laughs at him and the tension is thus relieved. Miguel takes it to heart and we get his public declaration of Spider-Man's intent to fight the power at the climax. As I've said before, I mean, this is my favorite series of the 2099 line for my growing up and reading comics, and while the characterizations are solid, they also feel a bit convoluted as I reread everything. It's very soap opera-ish, and I know that's a standard feature of Spider-Man comics, but it felt like it was coming in a little too early, maybe? I don't know. Tr truth be told, it would have been more fun to feature a villain of the week to start, just like they did with the original Stanley and Steve Ditko run. Instead, the issues feel like they double up on the same stories, and it gets repetitive.
repetitive. It's a good world-building job by Peter David. I guess it just feels kind of dull, with all the corporate intrigue being really the main threat, ultimately. Luckily, Peter David's snappy dialogue is always a joy to read, so that does kind of help things move along. But yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Rick Lenardi's art also is just, it's very stylish, and I enjoy it for this book. I don't know that I would like it anywhere else, but it feels like, okay, this is what Spider-Man 2099 is supposed to look like. At the same time, I guess... I built this up in my head as this great story, and it's not bad, and it is well-constructed. It's just not dynamic, although Rick Lenardi does a lot of big splash pages, whether it's a double spread or just like a full page, and he'll do a cool pose. But I, I guess I just feel like overall, it's not pushing the same buttons it did for me as a kid, but I'm curious. Maybe as I read on, it gets more interesting to come. And for my recollection, it does. So, thanks for joining me for this look at Spider-Man 2099. In the meantime, I'm gonna get the shock out of here and start living it up as best I can. Oh wait, what the? Ah, Doom is back. I just... Oh, come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a... And now let's dive into contest number 18. The grand prize is an autograph set of the entire Doomsday, the Death of Superman series. That is a cool grand prize. An autographed copy of the entire thing. That's pretty amazing. First prize is, is a full set of the Death of Superman storyline and a set of the Death of Robin storyline. Wow, that's pretty cool. They're finally getting good prizes. Second prize, a copy of the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel, or a set of Dark Phoenix Saga. Wow, featuring the Death of Phoenix, your choice. That's pretty cool. And the third prize is a copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, featuring the Death of Supergirl or a copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths number 8 featuring the death of the Flash. Your choice. Wow, these are actually really good prizes for once, other than the dumpster fire of prizes they usually give out. So, let's dive into the questions. There are seven questions, and let's see how bad I do. Number one, dead fat guy on Gilligan's Island. What? What? What does this have to do with comics? Nothing. I don't know. It's a two-word answer. First word is three letters. Second word is seven letters. I don't know. I have no idea. That's a stupid question, wizard. You guys stink. Play more! Question number two. Marvel's Roy Orbison's look-alike. What? What? Who is Roy Orbison? words. First word is two letters. I'm going to go with Al. Sure. Second word is seven letters. No idea. Question number three. For all you Star Trek people out there, who is Spock's dad? Because I have no idea. I didn't even know Spock had a dad. It's five letters. If you know who Spock's dad is, tweet at us, please. Question number four. It just says the tamer. As in a lion tamer? Craven? Craven fits. Six letters. I'm going to call Craven. 
for number four. Craven the Hunter. He'd be a lion tamer. Sure. Great. Uh, the next one, question five. Buddy Baker. Who is Buddy Baker? I don't know. Six letters for the first word and four, three letters for the second word. You got me, man. I don't know who Buddy Baker is. Play ball! Question number six. Wildstar. Nope. Play ball! And the seventh question is the master of sound. I have no clue. <laughs> four letters. Don't know. I don't care. So there's a strong chance that I got all seven questions wrong because I didn't know six of them and I guessed on one. So super. Thanks, wizard contest number 18. No wonder the prizes were so good. The questions are freaking impossible. You guys suck. (laughs) Thanks, wizard, for nothing. Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, now has its own separate feed from the Retro Network on all of our major podcast platforms. So we invite you to subscribe to our personal channel. We have our own separate feed to check it out. Thank you guys at the Retro Network. Uh, Mickey and Jason, they've been killing it for us. They really rock. They're great dudes. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Wizards Comics and on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. So, thanks so much for listening to our Wizards Half for 18.5, how I totally bombed the quiz, and the My Kind of Hero thing was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie, I really like that. I hope there's more of those. But don't forget to check out the latest edition of The Wizard Files, where we interviewed Buddy Scalara about his job in launching Wizard on the web in the 1990s. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on whatever podcasting app you use to listen. Our buddy Nerd Jam Room just took the time to do that, and we really appreciate it. Finally, since Adam is still lost in time, who knows how episode 19 will turn out. Until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.